Praise God. Told you stuff's going to get different around here. Really slacked off on my uh, <laughs> dress code. You know what they say when the... Uh, what, who's away? Someone comes out to play. When the pastor's away, <laughs> the guy in the trackie comes out to play. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I've been, I've been waiting to talk about this for a long time, and um, today was the day that I finally felt to do it, and um, I'm very excited. It's, uh, this isn't Thursday night. We're not going to the place that we went to in, on Thursday night. Um, it's Sunday morning, and it's the gospel. It's the good news. It's... Uh, it's reaching out for lost sheep. That's what Sunday morning is about. Um, so this morning, I want to talk to you, and I've titled it. I don't normally do it, but if I feel to, then I, I do. Uh, I've titled it Lessons from Running, which explains being dressed like this. Yeah, it's great. Um, so... If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 9.24. We'll just read a few verses. When you begin a walk with God, and you begin to seek after Him, and you begin to discern His voice, and hear from Him, and Get to know his character so you can know which voice is his that's, when it speaks to you. You begin to hear his voice every day. Not just in a church service. Not just when you're praying or reading the word of God. But he talks to you all throughout the day. The goal is to fast and pray and be diligent in seeking him to get more and more sensitive to him. So when he does speak, you will discern him, and you'll hear him, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what time it is. I, I believe that God speaks to every single human being on earth. He doesn't start talking to people when they're filled with his spirit and born again. But the problem is, they have no idea who he is. They have no way to pick up that it's him talking to them. That's why it says, how can they hear without a preacher? God will send people to begin to speak about him, and then the things that have been spoken about him to a person will begin to gel with a voice that they hear, and they go, you slowly start to pick up. There are many voices. There, there, there's the voice of your flesh. Your flesh knows it's not going to heaven. It's going to be transformed. Um, and Bishop Wright said it this way, it, it knows it's not going to heaven, so it has absolutely nothing to lose. It will do anything and everything to talk you out of being involved in the Spirit and walking with God. When you pray, it's your flesh after 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes that says, that's good, that's nice, that's enough. My wife wouldn't be very happy if after 15 minutes we're talking away on a date and I go, that's enough. 
we're done. No, no, stop it. We're done. How'd you, how'd you feel about that, babe? <laughs> that face is, says everything. It's the flesh that goes, okay. That's why your, your, your flesh resists intense prayer. Even though intense prayer is the stuff that moves things spiritually, your body resists it and hates it. You have the voice of the people that have influenced you in your life. If you have um, parents that, that were harsh to you, you'll hear that voice when you try and do something and you feel like you're not going to get it right. That crushing blow of a voice that tells you you're a failure and a loser. And, and because people have parents that have spoken to like, them like that, when they're trying to be involved with the Heavenly Father, they think that's the way He is. I thank God I had a father, an earthly father, who, who was in the kingdom and reflected God in my life, which helped me to get to know God much easier uh, without making up the idea that he was trying to crush me every time I messed up. That's why I'm here today. And if you have that voice in your head, God, if you spend time with him, he will get, he'll, he'll separate it from who he is compared to what you've known all your life. So the point I'm making is that God has been speaking to me since I first started running when I was 16 years old. And He's taught me many things through running. And I just want to share some, some of the principles and ideas that, that are reflected in running that are in the Holy Ghost and in the Spirit already. So, 1 Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man strives for the mastery. Every man that strives for the mastery, and anyone who tries to be good and master something, is temperate in all things. You, uh, you're, you're moderate in what you do. You sacrifice other areas of your life. So it will allow you to increase and give your utmost and your best to a certain area. Now they do it, these people that run or strive for mastery, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we're doing it, we're, we're in the kingdom of God to obtain an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, in other words, I'm not running without a goal. So I fight, not as one that beats the air. I don't just shadow box, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You may be seated. Let me read a, a, a more modern version. Do you not see that in a running competition, all take part, but only one gets the reward? So let your minds be fixed on the reward. You know, when, when I go into a season of fasting, I have a goal in mind. I'm not just walking around hungry every day because I want to punish myself. I'm doing it to deny my flesh to get its mouth to be suppressed and shut up. And then God can speak to me and I become more sensitive. 
And if you've ever done it, and you come out the other side having received revelation and a heightened sensitivity of the Spirit of God and His voice and His presence every day and every night in your life, that's why we go into fasting. Because you know you're going to come out the other side if you focus on it and stay true to it. You're going to come out the other side of that season in a new walk with God. Having cleaned out so much junk and mess and distractions and things you're carrying for no reason. So they that, those that run in a competition, they're going after a reward. Let your minds be fixed on the reward. I'm living every day because I believe that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out in the greatest manifestation that it has ever been manifested in the history of the earth. It's, go, it's going to happen. It has to happen. We've heard it talk. Brother Mott has discussed this. I think I've discussed it and other people. He promised to Abraham, every family on the earth will be blessed with the blessing of Abraham. And every single nation is going to be blessed. And Galatians 3.14, go ahead and put that up, Liam, makes it very clear what God promised Abraham that the blessing was going to be. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, that's the entire world, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Every nation is going to receive the Spirit, and every single family is going to have at least somebody filled with the Holy Ghost, born again. It's going to happen. And when you start to read this and decide to simply believe it without trying to figure out how it's going to happen, it gives you a new lease of life. You start to look forward. You start to look at every day as just another step towards that goal. Even the worst day, you can go, okay, what have I learned in order to get to that point where God is leading me? It puts an excitement and a hope in you. Not faith, a hope. Hope is greater than faith. Biblical hope is certain expectation. Faith is, I'm persuaded, but hope is, it's going to happen. I don't care what it looks like, what, what, is, what the obstacles are in the way, it's happening. And every man who takes part in the sports has self-control in all things. If you want to call what we're into, it's likening a walk with God and the mission and the purpose of living in the kingdom a sport. You should have self-control in the other areas of your life. Because if, if, if you're letting all your energy go into every other aspect of your life, there's nothing left for the, the sport that you're striving to achieve in. If, a, if an athlete, if an Olympian eats one bad meal, that could make the difference from him winning the prize of a gold medal. I, um, I got into, I didn't do too much of CrossFit, but I really enjoyed watching the guys at the top. If you don't know what CrossFit is, it's, it's what, they, they take all different types of um, sport and they take gymnastics and Olympic weightlifting and calisthenics, which is body weight exercise, and they put it all into one big workout and various different workouts. And these guys, they, when they win the CrossFit Games, they claim that they are the fittest per people on the earth. And I, I kind of find it hard to disagree because they're doing 
such varied exercise. One, one event is you literally get a sledgehammer and there's this block on a kind of a, a rail. It's obviously has resistance in the rail and only moves a couple inches every time they hit it. And they have to knock this block 20 meters down the rail. It's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So they go from that to doing snatches with weights over their heads and, and you know, 500-pound deadlifts and then running to do 20 pull-ups and then on rings. And then they'll, one of them, they did a bunch of that stuff. And then they had to get 20 sandbags, run in the, let's say you're, it's held at a place like Anfield. They're on the pitch, and they have to run from one end with a sandbag. As many as you can get, you have to move like 25 of them. So people are carrying five or six or three on each shoulder. Running the length of the pitch all the way up to the highest stand, and then back down and putting them into a wheelbarrow. So they go all, they're going all the way up and back down. And at the very end, you have to get the whole wheelbarrow full of sandbags that you've almost killed yourself trying to move and then run a certain length with that. And, and I watched these guys, and one, one, the, the current champion, Matt Frazier, he, um, he, he said a quote that was just awesome. The, the four-time champion before him was a guy called Rich Froning, and um, I, just, I think it's awesome. He's a Christian. He's got, like, tattoos of scriptures on his ribs and on his back, and he wears... Um, a headband with one of the psalms that says he, he gives me the legs of a hind to leap over a wall and outrun a troop. And <laughs> it's really cool. And you're like, I kind of believe that. Because you just won one of the hardest sporting events in the world four times in a row. Um, but Matt Frazier, he's, um, he's the current champion. And he said, every day when I'm working out, he trains alone. Most guys have live-in partners to push them and drive them. This guy trains on his own. And he says, every day when I'm exercising, if it's, if it's late at night or early in the morning and I'm, I just feel awful or I don't want to do this, or, he just says, I say to myself, do today what others will not. So tomorrow you can do what others cannot. That is just awesome. And that's, that's changed something in me, and I want that to manifest more, that I can sit there and go, what am I doing right now with my time? What am, what am I doing that other people will not do, so that tomorrow, or in a month, or in a year, or in five, or ten, or twenty years, God can use me in the stuff that he can't use other people in. It's awesome. Do today what others will not, so tomorrow you can do what others cannot the consistency that this man has had to, to just strive towards mastery in his discipline every single day never lets up. I'm going to do what other people will not. I'm going to, I'm going to eat this meal that's so bland and, and gross and makes me gag, but it's the perfect fuel for my body. So I'm going to do that today while others aren't willing to eat as well as I am. So tomorrow I'll have more clean energy to be able to work harder than people so they, they can't do it tomorrow because they're, they're not focused as me, as focused as me. So these guys have self-control in all things. 
And if you notice one of the fruits of the Spirit in, uh, in Galatians 5. Actually, I'll start with that. Liam, give me um, Galatians 5.16, please. This, this verse is just amazing. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This verse changed my life when I, when I read it and was taught it. That if I make it my focus to get into, the, into a flow of the Spirit of God every day, if I make it my focus that when I get up to get connected with Jesus Christ, I can walk in the Spirit. Because if you don't do that, you'll fulfill everything that your body wants you to fulfill. Your mind will be out of control. You won't be able to have any self-control. But also what I've learned that lifted great pressure off me, it says you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It didn't say you won't have any lust of the flesh. Now I know when you think lust of the flesh, you think of something Sexual, probably. That's kind of lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is everything that your flesh wants. Whether it's food, whether it's, whether it's uh, the stuff I just mentioned then, whether it's more money, whether it's power, whatever it is. It says that the spirit is at enmity with the flesh. It's, it works in total opposition, and the flesh works in total opposition of the spirit. So if I want to be right with God, I don't strive with my willpower to not do the stuff I'm not supposed to do. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to resist it as hard as I can. He says, no, just get into the Spirit and I'll be your strength. Here's a real random one, but it, it fits perfectly in my head. Have you ever seen A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe? Okay, to the half a person who's seen it, <laughs> it's just you, Ant. <laughs> okay, so Russ, he basically he played a man called John Nash, and he was a um, absolute mathematical genius. Um, but with that genius, he he went absolutely crazy, lost his mind, and he was working for the CIA for a, an extended period of time, or so he thought. It was actually vivid hallucinations. He was completely mental. And he had this shed that he thought was his secret CIA office. And it was just full of all these papers and maps and trackings and points connected. And he was a genius, but he was off his absolute bonnet. Just. But what I saw, as he began to get control of his mind again, he went through this phase of complete craziness and paranoia. He thought um, people were after him from spies and all this stuff. And as he began to get control, and when I saw this and thought about it, I went, oh my goodness, that's like the lust of my flesh. So at one point, he was totally immersed in it, totally given to it, having real full-on conversations with people that weren't there, totally believing they were real, no question in his mind, just working for the CIA and dropping off letters at an old abandoned house that had no one in and just crazy, totally in it. So when you're not walking in the Spirit, you're just totally given to the lust of the flesh. And the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm. 
So we think we're, it's all real and everything is just, this is it and the lust of the flesh. This is just, this is what I want. If it feels good, do it. And, and as you begin to get treated and get control again, what happened was those people were still there. But little by little, he would start to get away from them and get them to leave him alone. And then he started ignoring them. And what, what, what you see is that at one point, it was, he was just entrenched in it, and he couldn't get away from these people. And if you see, if you start to walk in the Spirit, and this is exactly how I feel, those things, their desires become, they're still there, but they don't, they don't rule your life anymore. He, you see him near the end of the film. He, I can't remember where he is, but he's, I think he gets married again or something. Um, but he looks over, and it was a a man, and then I think was it a young boy or a young? Yeah, there was a there was a few. Yeah, and then right at the end, he just looks over, and they're just kind of standing there, knowing that they they have no way of influencing his life, that they have no way of of. Uh, talking to him without him go, going, no, no, thank you. So it never left, but it never ruled him again. And, I, and I'm saying that because personally, the lusts of my flesh have never left me. They're still there. Those desires to do the things I used to do are still in me. But the Spirit of God, that's why I connect to him every day. I have to or I'll be a psychopath entrenched in CIA matters and talking to people that aren't there and doing stuff that's non-existent spiritually and destructive spiritually. He lost his wife and his family and his home because he was so given over to these hallucinations. Just as many of us were so given over to what our body wanted us to do, how our mind wanted us to think. But as you begin to walk in the Spirit, you start to distance yourself. They're still there. You, you'll never get spiritual enough that they go away. If you, if you have problems gossiping, you'll never get spiritual enough that you, that thing won't be there somewhere, but it won't be the dominant force in your life. If you, whatever it is, if you walk in the Spirit, So Paul says, so then I'm running, not uncertainly. I don't run without a goal, but I, I keep my body under control and make it my slave so I won't lose out. And so the lessons from running. Stay uh, back to Galatians. I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> Go to the next one. So this is what I was saying. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. They're contrary to one another. Go to the next verse. Next verse. Right. So this is what your body is capable of. This is what your, your human nature, your flesh is capable of. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Uh, witchcraft is um, a Greek word, pharmakia which doesn't mean a witch with a pointy hat and a nose, but it means potions and drugs as well. So not just playing Ouija boards or whatever, but 
being dependent on substances to help you in a certain way. Everything from having to have a certain amount of caffeine every single day to get you going to taking melatonin at night to help you sleep. It's a, it's a head problem. It's not a body problem. You, have, you don't have peace. You're depending on other things except God. And you can argue all you want with me on that, but I've, I've been through this stuff. I've been dependent on caffeine to, to get up. I've been dependent on melatonin to go to bed. And other things, stronger things. It's real. But when I have peace, I don't need either. My mind is at ease when I go to sleep. That's why you take it, because you can't stop your mind from worrying and freaking out and thinking. And Anyways. <laughs> Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. Murder doesn't mean physically killing someone. Jesus said if you have hate in your heart for someone else, you're a murderer in your heart. Same with adultery. If you look at someone with lust or something with lust, uh, that's adultery. Revelings and such like. And, again, I've told you in times past, you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So if you don't walk in the Spirit, this is what your body's capable of. This is why the world is in absolute chaos right now. This is why there is a... They're not, they're not a religion. They're, they're, a, they're a political ideology, because all they want to do is take over the world physically. That's why there, there's murderings and, and envyings and revelings, and it's, it's just pure, pure humanity left unchecked. That's, you know, you, you check out some of these countries, and it's, it's just in absolute chaos. Even, even here, but it goes on behind closed doors, more so than out in the open. So, go to, go to the next verse. So, we have the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, here's the thing about the fruit of the Spirit, and this is a problem I had. I tried to make these, these fruit be manifested out of me. And that doesn't work, because I'm not capable of true spiritual love. I'm not capable of making my own joy or, having, or creating my own peace. I'm not capable of having cheerful patience, which is long-suffering, or being gentle, or goodness, or faith, or meekness, or temperance, which is... Temperance is not self-control. Temperance is walking in the Spirit and allowing God to govern and give you the strength to do what you know is right and not do what you know is wrong. So the, the first lesson of running, I'm wearing my wife's Fitbit uh, because I misplaced my Garmin. I don't know where it went. Um, but, I know, it's, it's my birthday present. I think it's at her mom's house. It's okay. We'll send out a search party. The first lesson is that you have gauges when you're running. If you get one of the, well, not, I don't know about this one, but my Garmin. <laughs> uh, my first screen, it tells me um, my, what does it tell me? It says the time I've been running, the distance I've ran. It also tells me my average pace, so I can see what my average pace is for the whole time I've been running. Um, and it tells me my current pace, what I, where I'm at right now, how fast I'm moving right now. Um, my heart rate, my cadence, which is how many steps I'm doing uh, per minute, I think. 
So we have these gauges, and as I'm running, I can look and see where I'm at. So go back, go back to the, the works of the flesh. One more. One more. Uh, 18, sorry. 19. Right. So all these things about the flesh that I read, you compare that with the fruit of the Spirit, and you pick out, where am I at on all these? Am I envying? Am I reveling in stuff? Do I hate people? Am I, am I relying on, on medication or drugs to, to cope with life? Am I... Uncleanness is a, is a huge thing. Um, Psalms talks about, David says, I will not regard iniquity. Regard means to, to look on and vicariously live through what you're looking at. So, some of the stuff we set before our eyes, we go, well, you know, it's just, it, it's just a, whatever, a film. Your heart and spirit is vicariously living through what you're watching. It's not innocent stuff. It gets in you, and it, it, it messes you up. I'm not saying if you watch a, a violent film that you're going to go commit violence, but you are dirtying up your spirit. It's, it's a, and again, you can, you can argue about this with me, but I've lived it. I've watched myself progress from, no, I, I, I can't do that. That's horrendous. Why am I watching someone's head get blown off? What is wrong with me? What, do, I, do I like watching this? Is there something in me that enjoys this? What am I doing? Why am I watching two people doing what they're doing? What on earth? What, what's wrong with me? And as God begins to go, you're, you're regarding iniquity in your heart. You're vicariously living it. So I can look at the gauge of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I can check it out as I'm running going, oh, wow, my, my pace is terrible right now. I can go, I can't really see any fruit of the Spirit at work in my life right now, but I've got a good amount of works of the flesh going on. My, that, my pace is really off. So again, you don't make these things happen or make them go away. You walk in, you get into the Spirit, you pray. And what do you mean by pray? Honestly, I learned how to pray by just flowing in tongues for extended periods of time. That changed me the fastest and the easiest more than anything else in my entire life. I've tried every type of prayer or prayer you can pray. I've tried, I'll read a verse and I'll pray the Bible, I'll pray this and, and then I'll, I'll tell God what I want and, and whatever. I learned how to pray and that just opens you up as you flow in the Holy Ghost for God to help you and cleanse you and change you and talk to you. So as I started to move into the Spirit, my gauges began to change. I'd look and go, hey, my, my pace is, it's gotten lower now. It's, it's going good. Instead of running a, a nine and a half minute mile, I'm running a eight minute, 20 mile. That's great. So I, I could see the works of the flesh beginning to come down a bit and the fruit of the Spirit beginning to increase. Not because I'm trying to have joy. Not because I'm trying to get peace. But because I'm trying to walk in the Spirit. And when you're standing on this side, you get what's on this side. If you go on to this side of the flesh, you're going to act like what the flesh is capable of. 
So when you run, you have gauges that tell you where you're at. A lesson I learned yesterday. You know your, your, your brain runs. It runs on the food that you eat. It, bur- it burns calories to think. It burns a lot of calories to think. And I'm, I'm running, and I hit mile eight. And then I just went off on a tangent in my head, starting to think about, okay, eight miles. I got five miles left. And then once I get to nine, I'll have four miles left. And then, and then I'll be at ten miles, and there'll be three miles left. And then, okay, okay, when I get to 8.5 miles, I, 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 maybe I'll have a gel. Maybe I'll, I'll ha- take in some energy. And, and I'm just going off, and I go, and I realize my pace started to drop. I started to lose focus. My cadence slowed down a little bit. Everything kind of went off. My breathing was out of sync, and I went, I'm, I'm trying to do as, the best I can in this race. And I went, I'm burning calories just thinking about what's going to happen in half a mile. I don't really care what's going to happen half a mile. I've got to get to that next half a mile to even consider what's... Why am I wasting calories thinking about all this stuff when I should be focusing and harnessing my energy into staying on the course and staying focused right now where I'm at? I need to be considering my left knee is starting to ache pretty bad. Not thinking about, ooh, nine miles, that means I'll have four. Like, what am I, near five doing basic math? <laughs> but this is the thing. That's why the Romans 12 tells us to be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And one of the greatest transformations of the mind is to get your worrying under control. When you think about the future in a worrying manner, you waste energy that God doesn't provide. Deuteronomy says, as your days are, so shall your strength be. God will be with you in the present. He will give you strength for the present. As soon as you begin, what if this, and what if that, and oh, this, and how's that going to work out, and I, I don't know, you step into God's territory. Try and figure it out. Try and figure out what's going to happen in 10 seconds. You can try and predict it, but we don't know. Those people in Las Vegas didn't know what was going to happen 10 seconds from that point. Did they? You be, we become gods unto ourselves when we try and figure out the future. It's the old thing of, uh, you know, how do you make God laugh? You tell him your plans. He's going, I'm in the future already. You have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Why are you wasting your energy on trying to work everything out when I have a plan and purpose for you. Get, in, get, get on the course. Get focused on where I have you right now. Get focused on the next step, not the next ten miles. You'll get there when you get there. Even Jesus said, take, don't, don't take thought for tomorrow. Take no thought for your life. There's, there's enough evil that's out in the world and could possibly come into your life. The last thing you need to do is sit down and try and figure out how much evil is coming in this earth. Because it's coming. We didn't get to where we are from, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s for it to just stop now and calm down and go back to the way things were. It's getting worse and worse and worse. The last thing I need to do is go into public space and consider, I wonder if I'll die today. Because that's, that's a very valid thought today in our nation and in our continent and in the world. London, Vegas, everywhere where we thought it was safe. It's not safe anymore. Manchester, 
I make the decision every day. You know what? I got enough stuff to think about just walking in the Spirit, just staying on the course and going, what is my next step? Where, is there any cracks? Is there any, any large mounds that's going to make me twist? I don't need to think about, oh, in, in a mile there's a crosswalk, and if the marshal isn't there to stop the traffic, and I'm trying to stay focused, and I, I can't really look either way because I'm trying to keep my, my tunnel vision so I know where I'm going, I may get hit by a car. Great. Spend all your energy worrying about that. And then you're going to trip over your own foot on the next step. Breathing. Prayer. The intensity of your breathing determines how fast you can go. There's different techniques of breathing when you're running. Um, there's different, there's a different amounts of prayer. Now, actually, I've just seen this. Breathing intensity determines how fast you can go. Bishop Rick Gonzalez told me something when I was in the car on the way to the gym with him because he was going to bench press me. And he just looked at me out of nowhere and he went, prayer is not measured in minutes, it's measured in intensity. And that just, that just changed my life. So if you, ever, if you ever wonder what's going on when there's some really intense prayer, we're, we're just trying to go places. There, there is some prayer that is, that is not intense for certain reasons. But the prayer, violent prayer, Matthew eleven twelve and Luke sixteen eight talks about the kingdom of heaven has been advancing. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The kingdom of heaven cannot go anywhere without intensity and pressing forward. Because the earth is in control of the prince of the power of the air. Enshrouded in darkness. The only way the kingdom can go anywhere is with violence, is with vigor, is with intensity. You, you don't just get to freely stroll through occupied France in World War II as a British or an allied soldier. <laughs> you get your boys together, you get a plan, and you move in there with guns, with, with, with artillery, with air support. And there's violence to get to where you want to go. Prayer is measured in intensity. Breathing intensity determines how fast you can go. If I want to up my cadence, if I want to make my miles go faster, I have to change my breathing. So when my, my, my main thing I do when I first start out on a run, every three steps, I'm either inhaling or exhaling. So it's out, 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 in, 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 out, 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 in. So that's as I warm up, as my cardio system's getting stronger, as my lungs are warming up. And then when I get into my stride after a mile or two, I change to two breaths because I need to get more oxygen into me quicker and I need to expel the waste quicker. So it's in, in, out, out, in, in, out, out. So there's, it's more intense. If I want to do a full-out sprint, it's... It's, <laughs> I think it turns into one and a half steps for every breath. So you, there's more intense, it's quicker ins and outs of breathing. So, my prayer life, I want it to reflect this. The less I pray, the less further I can go in God. The less I pray, the less strength I have. 
the less knowledge I have, the less wisdom I have, the less virtue I have in my body to minister. The more I pray, because prayer is basically, without me you can do nothing, and then your prayer life reflects how much you believe that. The more I pray is the more I'm reflecting. I can't do anything without Jesus. I can't do anything without Him coming into me and then being able to go out of me. So my breathing increases. And, and let me say this. If you run into a hard time in your life, if you get to the point where you go, I'm really struggling. In running, it's called going uphill. If you hit a hill, your breathing has to change. I can't do my nice warm-up, three breaths out, three breaths in, one, two, three, out, 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 in, in. If I hit a hill, I've got to be breathing far more intense because it takes more energy and strength to get up the hill. So when I, when I hit a hill, sometimes it's, it's in and out for every step. Out, in, out, in, out. Why? Because I want to get up the hill. The amount of people I saw on a, a race I did yesterday that stopped on hills, because I, I, I don't think they had the experience to know they should change their breathing on a hill. They stopped, and their hands went bent over, and they're just dead. And the people who had learned how to breathe just barely even changed pace from running on flat ground. So what we need to learn is that if you go through hardship... You don't stop. You don't pull away from God. You increase everything you're doing in God. Because it says, I'm going through this, but I don't want to go through it in my strength. I want to go through it under your strength. And with your power working through me to get through this. To get up this hill that's, that's hurting me. I'm burning. I'm worn out. I'm, just, I'm struggling here. You intensify. You don't back off. You can't miss breaths when you run. If I get distracted or I need to swallow some spit while I'm running, it, it throws you off. Because you've lost your rhythm, you've lost your pace, you've lost your steadiness. Your body gets set into tunnel vision and it's, it's nice and steady and going. And I, I swallow some spit. I've, I've missed a, a step or two of breathing. And it, it slows you down a little bit and throws you off. That's why if you have a nice couple of days of, of prayer and you miss an entire day, you, you're, you're just so out of sorts the next day. you going, where, where did it go? What happened? And it takes a couple of days to even try and get back to where you were. Because you can't miss breaths. You can't miss in taking the necessary things of the Spirit and ex expelling the unnecessary things that shouldn't be in there. I'm just, I'm just teaching right now. I, this, this was something awesome. Um, if any of you know Pastor Longmore, which Matt, Matt just talked about, um, he had a, a brain tumor, and he went through a long spell of illness. And after he, kind of, he came through it, he, he doesn't seem to have really been the same since, has he? Yeah, a bit more chilled out. But afterwards, I asked him, I said, Brother Longmore, how did you, how did you spiritually navigate this sickness? And this, this proves 
what I'm just saying about you up your intensity. I said, Brother Longmore, how did you navigate this? How did you go through it walking with God? He said, I prayed every day, all day. That is the only way I made it through this. And not just to feel better about himself and his situation. To, to, to continue to walk with God. To continue to be a pastor. To continue laboring in the kingdom. He said, I prayed all day, every day. You don't give up when you go through hardship. You intensify. It's called faith. It makes no sense to intensify your walk with God through hard times. But if you do it, you'll come out far greater than if you go through it on your own, if you come out at all on your own. And he, he got this from Smith Wigglesworth because some people asked him, Smith Wigglesworth was an amazing apostle of God. Um, go on Amazon, find one of his books of just his stories of the healings and the miracles he was involved in. Just absolutely amazing. They asked him, they said, Smith Wigglesworth, you're a man of faith and miracles. You've raised the dead. You've cast out demons. You've cast out more demons than we've had hot dinners. It's great. Tell us, how long do you pray every day? And uh, he, he's a very cool guy, full of wisdom, full of one-liners. And he goes, I don't ever pray any longer than 20 minutes. And they just, what? What? They're just astounded, and he just let it sit there for a bit. And he goes, yes, but I never go 20 minutes without praying. So, mathematics, mathematicians, let's say you're awake for 16 hours. Do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone? I'll, we'll come back to it. Hmm? Two thirty. Two thirds. I don't know. I just play the drums. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's say tw- tw- ten. Ten hours. Why not? It's a lot more than our our little routine prayer, isn't it? (laughs) But this is what Brother Longmore did. He realized, if I'm going to get through this, I'm going to give myself to God. And he made it through. And what what an awesome man of God that he is. Also in running, many pains are temporary. I think um, in a lot of my longer runs, I'll go through four different pains that will crop up. Maybe on the fourth mile, something will start feeling weird in my knee. You just kind of, you go, I'm going to keep going, but I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind in case it picks up. I don't know. Maybe a minute or two or three later, it's not even there. So every time we face any struggle, every time we're walking with God and resistance comes or pain happens, we don't, you can't stop. You keep going. You have to keep going. You have to continue. If, if your focus turns on the pain and worrying about it, you lose focus. You keep your eyes on Him. On the, as the Scripture says, you, you look to the hills from where your help comes from. You don't look in the valley where your problem is at. You just keep your eyes and your mind 
on the hills. And you'll make it. Running requires the correct clothing. He tells men, pray, lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He tells women, adorn themselves in modest apparel, shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, gold or pearls or costly array, which becometh women professing godliness with many, with good works. In other words, I want women to show their beauty by dressing modestly and respectably, and that their beauty would be shown by what they do, not how they look. So, in other words, is it, I'm, I'm very happy when my beautiful wife dresses beautifully, but I'm even more happier when I experience her character of a godly woman. You can be as beautiful as you try to be, but if your spirit is not beautiful, you get real ugly real quick. <laughs> God's not saying don't look nice. Don't look beautiful. What he's saying is don't make it your priority. Make your spirit your priority. Make the character of God in you your priority. Make the works that you're doing, the labor, walking with God, laboring in his kingdom your priority. Clothing in, in running is very important. Um, this is really soft material, both of this, both, both of these. You know, 20 years ago, they didn't have material like this. You, you, the old Rocky, he's running in his sweatpants and his hoodie and his weird cut-off shirts and all that stuff. Looks like a 90s girl pop band. This stuff took years to develop. It took a long time to get the right fabrics in, in labs and a lot of investments in research and development. And in, in running, if you're wearing the wrong stuff, you'll start to chafe. What chafing is, it's a, it's a rubbing of your, your skin either against other skin, if it's your thighs run, um, your legs rubbing together, or if it's an uncomfortable shirt that's rubbing on your skin, it'll start to chafe that. Um... If you're wearing the wrong stuff, it'll ruin your whole run. You'll, you'll be in pain. Chafing, the rubbing and the friction, if you do it enough, it leads to bleeding. And I, I've bled from chafing before. Literally, your skin just gets worn down to where it finds blood. And that really hurts. And in, in the moment, you kind of don't feel it. You, you feel there's a rubbing. But then when you get home and you jump in the shower, oh my goodness me. It's like someone just lit that part of your body on fire. And you go, whoa, what is that? And then you can't run for maybe a week or two because the whole thing has to scab and heal and fix itself. The wrong clothing ruins the walk with God. In the garden, we find Adam and Eve when they fell, when they fell out of communion. They realized, it says they realized they were naked and they went and clothed themselves aprons of figs. Figs are very coarse, scratchy material. And aprons only cover the front of you. So it wasn't a great sight. <laughs> it really wasn't. They were just walking around with these weird, scratchy aprons on, like a, uh, a primordial housewife or something. <laughs> I don't know. But what happened? 
God saw them and he says, you, you don't have the ability to save yourself. You don't have the ability to cover yourself correctly. Here are cloaks made of animal skins. And he covered with them. Animal skin and fur is so soft and so pleasant on the skin. Just as these clothes, they're, I like wearing them all the time because they just feel so nice. <laughs> they just feel great. Sporty. And what, you know, I said this stuff, these, these kind of clothes were developed for, took many years to get clothing to where it is today. It took our God. He spent 4,000 years in a, in, a, in a heavenly factory, in a science lab, bringing all this about from, from fig leaves going, this won't do, until 4,000 years later to the cross where he finally brought out a product that was so soft on our spirit, so gentle against the skin, and it's called righteousness. Before we were wearing filthy rags of our own works, but there's a cross that says no one will ever be good enough to save themselves. No one will ever be able to do enough good to erase our past. When a murderer comes out of prison, his, his, his record is not gone. He's just paid a penalty. He's always going to be a murderer according to the law. But God made a way. The, the, the murderer can't come out and go out and do enough philanthropic work and give to charities enough to go, okay, he never killed anyone. His record never goes away. But God designed a way that he would throw this clothing over us and he would expel the record, expunge it, just as if it never happened. And once you put on that and stop trying to earn God's love, it's so gentle. And you don't have to stop running every time you're reminded of your past. Every time you're reminded of your failures. Every time you're reminded of, that you hurt someone or someone hurt you. Because you could say, no, I've been covered by the gift of righteousness that God has given me. And it's soft on my skin. And the problem with figs is, figs, figs is like happiness. When you try and create your own happiness, happiness or happy is short for happenstance. It only works when everything's going good in your life. You only have happiness when every, every situation is okay. When a storm comes or when the winter comes, those figs are absolutely useless. You will die of hypothermia. You'll die of exposure. No one's ever survived wearing a front apron of figs going through a harsh winter. But millions of people have gone through winters covered in animal skins, thrived in winter, out hunting and working every day because they had the right clothing. I don't want to live every day. I, don't, I can't go through storms covered in my own efforts and trying to, trying to make my own peace by having life be okay everywhere. I can go through storms with the right clothing of righteousness. I won't get rubbed down and worn out and have to stop I can go, my Father has covered everything, and I'm going to keep going. The last thing I really noticed was the community of, of running. Um, 
if I, I didn't make it clear, yesterday I um, I went and ran a half marathon, an official race, uh, and it was it was just astounding the way the running community treat you. They they see how you're dressed. They see you're obviously here for the same reason as them. I I don't have any change, and the parking place only took change. And another runner was there, and he looked at me and saw I couldn't pay, and he called his wife over, and he just paid for my parking. Now, it's not a big deal in one sense. It was two quid. But how many times have, you know, we've seen people without the money to pay for the parking, and we're just quiet and kind of go, better go find some change. Should have brought some with you. And just let them walk away. But the community, because it was, I'm a runner, you're a runner. We may be competing today, but we're in this together. We go through the hardships and the aches and the pains and the, the, the self-control in other areas so we can boost our performance in running. And he went, I'm going to help you. Paid for my parking. You could, I could walk up to anyone in a public setting. Let's say you're in Liverpool City Center. It's awkward to kind of walk up to someone and ask for directions sometime. But you see everyone dressed the same as you. You can walk up to anyone and no one's like, oh, why is he trying to talk to me? Everyone is just up for a chat. Uh, oh, what's, what's, your, what's your personal best in a half marathon? Oh, well, it's this. Uh, this happened. Stories and... And, uh, yeah, yeah, running HQ is just over there. Actually, I'll show you. Come with me. And they, they walk you over and, like, yes, yeah, so you just get your stuff here and you sign up there. And the community was amazing. And there's a scripture in Luke 16:8. It says in, in the God's Word version, uh, it says, Worldly people are more clever than spiritually minded people when it comes to dealing with others. And in another version says, The people of this world look out for each other better than the people who belong in the light. And I was in this race yesterday, and it was just an awesome community. And I, I was just thinking, God, I want our church to be like this. Why do we strive against each other? We may, we may be heading out and, and striving for a goal, but we're going together. I may be faster than you, you may be faster than me, but we're both running we both got the gear. We both been. We both. We're, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. We're heading in the same direction. You you may run a a a, a three hour half marathon, which is kind of slow, or you may run a one hour and twenty minute marathon, which is pretty darn fast. But we're going in the same direction. We're going to the same place. And you know, I, I ran past a girl, and she was she was just. It wasn't a hill, but I think she just pushed herself too quick, too fast. And her friend stopped, and she's turning around going, come on, you can do this. And I, I was all involved in the community and the spirit of the day. And I'm like, yeah! <laughs> and I said, you can do this, you got this, as I'm running. And her friend looks at me and goes, yeah, you do, come on! And we all just started running. She broke her leg later, but it, that, no, I'm joking. But I may be going past her. I may be faster than her, but she's trying. She's on the same route. She's entered the same race, so she's going to get my support. And that translates to, you know, if, if you're actually trying, you're going to get support. But if, you, if you're just dead and nothing and, uh, you, you know... The hungry need to get fed, not the ones full on everything else but God. 
She was hungry. She wanted to keep going, but she was struggling. So she got support. And it was awesome. It really was. And in running, you start small. You start small. Start with a 3K. Start by running for two minutes and walking for one. You don't just go out and run a, a marathon. You start small. Start small by letting someone teach you the Scripture. I know it's exciting when you first start. And I know you want to do more. But you don't have the capacity to do the stuff that you want to do right now. So you grow and build 3K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. Maybe move into ultra marathons and running 200 miles like a lunatic. Start by just learning the Bible. Start by praying for 15 minutes a day. Reading one chapter. And you move on a little bit more. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to read a bit more. Move on. You know what? I've, I've been doing this for a while. I've been taught the Scripture. I know the basics. I'm going to teach someone what I know. And you retain 90% of the stuff that you teach. No wonder why Paul told the Hebrews, you're supposed to all be teachers. In other words, I want you all to learn everything you know. That's why if you just sit in a church service, you don't, you, don't know, you don't know the Bible by sitting through church. You'll never know the Bible. You'll only know it by studying yourself and teaching someone else. Um, so I just, I'll, I'll finish there. There's, there's a lot, lot of other lessons. Hasn't been a, uh, a wild, exciting, entertaining day. But I will say that yesterday I... I obtained a corruptible crown. <laughs> and you know, I finished the race and picked this up, and at the end I was, there, all the little air cadets were, um, they volunteered and they were handing out waters every five kilometers. And at the end they were cutting the, uh, the timing chip off your, off your laces, so you, I mean, I have nothing that I could do with it. They just keep them and take them back in. And, the last mile or so, I just pushed as hard as I could, and it was just a hill the entire time, and it was, oh, it was horrendous. But I knew there was, there was something that said, if I get to the end, I get something. I get this thing that I can, that I can pose in a picture with, I, that it says, I've been there, I've been through it, I got it. I ran, it's a castle, if you can't see. I ran around a castle, and... Uh, <laughs> I finished yesterday and went, I got a corruptible crown. Now I want an incorruptible one. I, th th I was elated to get it. I'm, I still am. How much more elated are you going to be when you finish a getting taught a Bible study or when you teach your first one? These are all, run lifetime runners don't just get one medal and stop and go, oh, I got a medal, cool. Runners get tons of them. They have rooms full of their shirts and their medals and their bibs and because everything says, that's where I've been. That's what I've accomplished. Every Bible study that you teach one day, that's a medal. When you finish that. Every person that, 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 you, that you teach to, how to pray, and they're living for God, that's another medal. Every home group that you start and, and run consistently, that's another medal. That's another piece, another gem or jewel that's going to be put into your, un, your incorruptible crown. Your, your career, all this, all this stuff here, 
The scripture calls it hay and stubble and wood. But the things in the kingdom is called silver and gold and precious stones. You light a match. You throw the hay and stubble and wood in a furnace. Gone. You put gold and silver and precious stones in the furnace. It remains. All this, this running, it's just it's hay and stubble and wood. But what it's teaching me, and what hopefully has been relayed here today, it's going to produce silver and gold and precious stones. When I'm running care group, and I feel a bit worn out, and all right, another, another Tuesday, let's keep going. I remember the lessons I've learned. You, you don't quit when you feel pain. You don't quit when you're running up a hill. You keep going. And you know what? The fact that I may not want to do something this week means I need to pray more intensely and break through the resistance to go where God wants me to go. So let's, let's just stand to our feet and pray today. I want to urge you, if, if, if you're new or you've been kind of floating around for a while, not progressing, or I want to urge you and remind you that there's a cross 2,000 years ago, that a man was murdered, covered in blood, pinned up by his hands and feet against a piece of wood that says that I can't save myself and I don't have the strength to live this life according to the Word of God. But He did it so we could have His Spirit. There are people in this room that used to be on fire. There are people in this room that used to love the Word. There are people in this room that used to be given over to God. And things started to change in life. Maybe life got nicer and so you... you You backed off, but you can't have it both ways. You don't get to blame God for the bad stuff and take credit for the good stuff. You don't get to say, where is God when everything's hard, and then not mention Him at all when everything goes great. It's it's not how it works. I urge you today to reconsider where you're at in your life. I urge you today to consider, am I really connected to the body of Christ? Do I just show up today? as a part of a crowd that that goes home and lives however else I feel like living for the rest of the week? Or am I in the race? Maybe I'm not getting the support and attention that I'd like because I'm not running the race. I'm just, I'm I'm a spectator. I may look like I'm dressed like other runners, but I'm just, I'm just spectating. But I gotta start running. In the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that you've taught me from running. I know I've, I've gone on long today, but I just wanted to relay some things. I want you to apply this in your life. Consider these lessons wherever you are in your life. Consider, am I enduring or have I quit? Am I, in, am I in intensifying or have I, have I faced a hard time and given up? Have I faced an easy time and lost focus and floated away? That's why ships have to have a certain amount of load in them. If they're too light, they'll just tip over. If I don't have the load that's correct for my life, I'll just tip over. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. There are people here that need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You will, you'll, it'll blow your mind what happens when you go under the water of baptism and you get His name put on you. And you get His innocence 
a robe of innocence placed over your condemnation. It will blow your mind the difference that it makes. That it is as good as being buried in a tomb for sin by being baptized in His name. You've paid for it by going under underwater of baptism. Jesus paid for it and you just follow Him through symbolically. And He looks at that and goes, that's every bit as good in my eyes as you, you going through what I went through. And that's why He died. That's why He was buried. And that's why He rose again. God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But what God actually did, God... God so loved the world that He offered His love to anyone that would make the decision to respond to the offering of love. Receive His love today. Get back into the kingdom. Come, come back. Get into the race. The race yesterday was an absolute blast. But it's because I've spent ten years training and having some kind of focus so I could enjoy the race. And it wasn't miserable and I wasn't struggling the whole time. I had ten wonderful miles of, 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 of bliss and enjoyment. Yeah, it was a battle, but it was awesome. There was the community and the support and the, the race and the vigor and the, the spirit of the day. It was exciting. Come back to that excitement. Come back to the joy of the kingdom. The joy that only God can give you. The peace that only He can give you. I don't, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't have, I'm not picking out anyone. I'm just, I'm just talking. Because there are people that have, that have backed away and shrunk away. The kingdom of God is always advancing. If we're not always advancing, then there's something wrong. And we need to get it right. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord God. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Have a blessed week. I'll see you throughout the week, hopefully. Amen.